Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and on this episode of Behind the Headlines, we talked to Ron Fonger, and he covers the city of Flint for MLive, and there was just a groundbreaking decision in the Flint water crisis. You can kind of sketch out a case um, that, okay, um, we know that these level of people in state and city and federal government had knowledge that something was wrong with Flint's water at certain points in time. And then you have to try and take it to the next level. Well, did that person bring it to the attention of their boss? And did they bring it to the attention of someone else in a different agency? Comes right up to the door. And um, a lot of people just found it really hard to believe that a lot of people who were high ranking in state government uh, had information that an entire city's water was being poisoned So let's jump into the episode. As always, my co-host is Vice President of Content, John Heiner, and we're talking to Ron Fonger, who covers the city of Flint for MLive, as we're talking about that historic decision in the Flint water crisis. Good to see you, Ron Fonger. How are you? Same to you. I am, uh, I'm holding, holding on. <laughs> well, this this will be over soon. We talk about it every week. It's we're on the verge of this ending and real and life going back to normal at any second now. So yeah, yeah. They may give us the all clear siren right during this podcast. So. <laughs> I hope so. Well, well, thanks, Ron, for joining us. Um, obviously, the topic is the settlement, but we we usually in this these calls kind of wander <laughs> wherever. All right wherever our whims on the topic take us. And obviously there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about, not just the settlement, but you know, the progress of the, of the, the water line replacement and the people's trust in the water and government dysfunction, uh, civil and criminal cases, where all that stands. And uh, we're just um, starting to kind of get a gauge this week, I would say on, on the, you know, the big bombshell that, that dropped last week, which everyone knew we were negotiating towards and toward the last few days, everyone even knew exactly what was, what was coming down the pike. And, and then it hit on, uh, on Thursday and we got news of the $600 million settlement. And um, I think you had uh, some, some cautious, a lot of questions, reaction to, um, the announcement among people in Flint. And I think that's still happening. And I think it's going to probably happen to some extent for the next several weeks. It's a big number for sure, you know, $600 million. But as people start to take a harder look at, at it, well, that's still, you know, numbers seem so, uh, so big and so great after, you know, the costs, mm-hmm. the attorney fees are taken out of it. Um, the way that that money is proposed to be divvied up, uh, it's real heavy going toward the children. And if you were an adult in Flint at the time of the water crisis and feel like you've suffered some damages, it's a pretty limited pool of money, actually, that you're going to be able to apply to, to get some help with. Well, let's do the basics first. It's not like they're bringing a Brinks truck with $600 million, <laughs> right? Right. And pulling, in, pulling into a water distribution center. It's... It's a loan. I believe it's going to be loans. I, I, my guess is going to be things put into trust over time. Uh, you know, it's it, they're not going to put six hundred million in escrow. 
Uh, and like you said, the, according to the articles you've written, um, the settlement is 80% directed at the children who are six or older, I believe. And so what does this mean? And I'm just the big topics and we can kind of break it down. There's a lot of dysfunctional things in, in Flint that both are infrastructure related, long-term, um, the water plant, the, the, the lead lines. Um, and one thing I also didn't see mentioned in the coverage was the people who died from legionnaires and their families. And so, first of all, the 600 million, how is that even, what, what are they um, proposing to get that money and how are they proposing to distribute it? Nobody is, is really saying where they're going to get it from, where the state's going to get it from, which tells you one thing, if they don't know and they don't have have it, which everybody seems to agree, they're going to have to borrow it. Um, nobody wants to come out and, and say that's, that's the plan, but what are the alternatives, right? Um, so in terms of the source of money, that's, that's, to me, that's where that's going to have to come from. I, I'm sorry, what was the second thing you asked? Uh, well, we can get to this, but issues of larger term, no. dis- dysfunction and systemic issues, just fundamental issues in Flint that it's facing. It seems like this money is targeted for a very specific purpose and a group of people. But what about underlying issues that have been long-term issues in Flint? And does any of that money going to be directed towards those things so that the whole thing you know, teach people to fish thing, like fix the underlying problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than a small set, uh, set aside for this money, I'm going to do much um, toward that. Um, other money that's been appropriated by the federal government, for example, to replace the lead service lines. Now that's a project that's we're probably a month or so away from finishing up. I mean, they are down to folks that have kind of re- resisted up to this point, um, having people come in and excavate their service line to find out if it's made of lead or, or galvanized. Um, so that's going to wrap up this year. That's a big step forward. It's taken a it's taken a long time, a lot longer than anyone anticipated. Part of the setback was the COVID this year, but um, we're luckily not in a situation where the city water plant has to be pressed into service like it, it was pressed into service back in 2014, 2015, when this whole thing started uh, and, and caused the water crisis. Um, I think, you know, there is money that's that was set aside and some of it's been used for you know, upgrades of water mains and, and equipment in the plant, but at least we're not relying on that 100% because we know before it wasn't staffed properly and the water wasn't being treated properly. This started in 2014. Um, there was a switch from the Detroit water system, the Flint water system, but just for the sake of our listeners, why don't you just walk us through I mean, we don't have to do the whole timeline of every decision that was made. <laughs> we'll, we'll put some links in my column and, and maybe in the, the podcast notes that, that show people if they want the, the blow by blow, which you've done an excellent, amazing job on and, and all of our staff in Flint has. But just for the, the listener, you know, when did this, the switch 
to the water plant and then back to a safer form of water because the lead line replacement too has been many years in the making, thousands and thousands of homes. Um, and, you know, just walk the listener through that and where that water's coming from now. Yeah. Um, so prior to uh, April 25th, 2014, the city got, the city bought its water. The city of Flint bought its water from the city of Detroit. Um, and they were paying, uh, they were paying a high, very high rate because of the distance that Flint is from the source of water, which is Lake Huron, and all that distance that Detroit had to pump it from Lake Huron to Flint. And that had been like a, for decades, that had been an issue and had inspired all this talk about the city of Flint and maybe Genesee County building a eye on that uh, Detroit water, which they felt like was way too expensive. And so they finally did it, right? Uh, they said, we're, we're going to build this pipeline. And in the meantime, uh, Genesee County, uh, who was Flint's partner in building this new pipeline, said, we're going to keep on bu buying that high price water from Detroit. And the city of Flint, which was being run by state-appointed emergency managers, said, uh, hey, this is an opportunity to save some money. We'll, we'll just draw water from the Flint River and we'll treat it. We got this old treatment plant here. How hard can it be? Well, uh, hey, Ron, could, any legacy issues with the Flint River? Uh, the Flint River? Um, yeah, I mean, if you see the Flint River, you would not imagine that that's going to be the drink, source of drinking water for a city of 100,000 people. It's kind of a, a glorified... I don't want to overstate it, but it's, it, I mean, it's more than a ditch, but it, it, it isn't a big body of water like Lake Huron. And because it's uh, in Flint and because of Flint's industrial history, uh, it's not the kind of body of water that people typically would go swimming in. Um, you, you'd sink down if you walked out into it. It's not that type of a body of water. Well, before it gets to Flint, it comes through pretty heavy farm country where you get a lot of agricultural runoff. Um, you know, when it ra when it rains, the river's brown and you've got to treat that at a treatment plant. And I think we learned over time that their expertise in treating water at the Flint, you know, which had been decommissioned at one point was not stellar. Yeah, we were in no position, no position to be able to go into the water treatment business in Flint. You had people being transferred from the uh, sanitation department to, to go work in the water plant when they did, the emergency managers decided to uh, put that plant back in service on a day-to-day -day basis. It had always been a backup, right? And they would run a test on it once a year and then they'd dump the, dump the water out. It wouldn't be distributed. Um, but anyway, that, that decision was made. It was made over the protests of people who worked in the plant at fairly high levels. They started, uh, they made the switch. They sold it as this was going to be a cost-saving temporary measure. And almost immediately, we had um, uh, people showing up at uh, public meetings with jugs of brown water, and they knew something was wrong with it. It stunk. Um it was discolored and so on. And over the course of the next 17 months, despite people marching in the street, protests, rallies being held, uh, I mean, 
it dominated like every aspect of life in Flint for the next 17 months. But the state kept saying, and the city by and large kept saying, oh, the water's okay. Or they didn't reveal things that they knew, Mm -hmm. uh, concerns that they had about it. And then finally in October of 2015, uh, under a lot of pressure, uh, Governor Snyder, you know, authorized the switch of uh, the city of Flint back to Lake Huron water. Uh, the damage was done at that point pretty clearly. We showed that in our reporting. And uh, we also showed by May of 2016 all the connections back between the departments and state government and where it touched against the governor's office, who knew what when. And the idea that this was a problem that urban cities face everywhere or that this was the fault somehow of the people who were running Flint, uh, your reporting pretty much debunked all that. I've never seen anybody come back and ask for a correction on that reporting. But is this settlement in a way an admission of guilt by the state? It's not the same administration. You know, we have a different administration, but is this an admission of guilt? And does this close, does this somehow heal or close a chapter? Right. And it, it is one chapter for sure, because um, within a couple of days, when we talked to a couple of the city's water consultants, uh, even though the state had agreed to this settlement, uh, they were like, uh, no, that's not for us. Uh, we didn't do anything wrong. We're going to continue to fight this. So these lawsuits are going to continue to go on. The federal government, the Environmental Protection uh, Agency, they're not talking about settling at this point. They're just not commenting at all. Um, and the city of Flint is still a de- defendant in a bunch of these cases also. And how that, that's going to get settled we'll see um but as for the state itself um to me this is an admission of uh, of of a shortcoming of a failure in terms of how the state related to flint how could it be otherwise um state of michigan's in no position to give flint 600 million dollars to you know because they like the people here or whatever reason i mean there's a reason that they're settling these cases uh, these are people who have put forward that they've suffered injuries. Their kids have suffered of drinking this water, which had elevated levels of lead and bacteria. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it's it, it's an acknowledgement that the state played a role in this. You know, was it the biggest role? We'll find out. But um, six hundred million dollars worth. Mm -hmm. And I would assume, having seen legal settlements before, that there'll be a release of claims as a part of this. Anyone who who accepts uh, a settlement claim or the money, because we really don't know yet what's going to happen to these kids. Uh, They say that lead in in the system and lead in the brain can lead to behavioral disorders, long-term health disorders. And so we're really that 600 million is a, is a payment for the unknown into the future. Yes. And not every child is going to be treated the same in the settlement either. Um, you're going to have to, the better case you make that you suffered um, health effects as a result of, uh, for example, if you've, if you were, if your blood was tested for lead, which a lot of kids went through, Um, blood testing at the time. Um, If you can 
demonstrate that your blood blood level had been elevated uh, during the water crisis, you're in a better position to make a claim for a larger amount than someone else might and, be. And would that also include the people, the families of the victims of Legionnaires? I think it was 12 or 13 Yeah, people. Legionnaires is covered um, by this settlement. Um, if everyone, um, you know, uh, agrees to it. I mean, people can still go forward and don't have to be a party to this, but, um, yeah, this is designed to, to, to cover the Legionnaires cases also. Will it indemnify state officials, including those who were in office or those who worked for the governor at the time that these decisions were made from civil liability? Yes. From criminal liability? No. Interesting. Where does that stand, by the way? Because that's a whole other thing to discuss. But uh, previous attorney general had launched an investigation, had a special prosecutor. And when the regime change happened with the election of Whitmer and Dana Nessel, um, they scrubbed all of those prosecutions, which at the time, I think some people were confused and felt like they're just, you know, it's over. We're throwing it under the rug. We're moving on. But Nestle said she was going to start from scratch. So where does that stand, Ron? That's been that's been the most um, tightly held um, information um, over the you know the course of the past year, year and a half uh, as as they've restarted this thing. There's just been precious little information provided to people in Flint about what the status of that investigation is. And, you know, of course, if I'm about ready to, to charge someone with a wrongdoing, you know, a crime related to the water crisis, I'm not going to announce it, you know, before I finished my, my investigation and, and filing of the charges. But um, at the same time, um, we had a meeting more than a year ago. That's the last time that we had any type of an extensive this is kind of you know where we're going. This is where the the mines might be out there. This is you know just a broad kind of idea of what's going on here. Uh, I have reason to believe the attorney general's office, the solicitor general in particular, is is still um, active in this investigation, but. Um, Boy, they, it, it's taken quite some time, and we just haven't heard much of anything about it. Um, what, what I'd like to ask reporters when they say I have reason to believe, why do you have reason to believe, Ron? Um, I talk to a lot of people who are involved in these cases and who've represented some of these defendants in the past and who've been involved, uh, at least in a peripheral way, in uh, the prosecutions as well. And so, you know, you talk, uh, people, uh, have been talked to people who have been interviewed and, um, you just hear different things in terms of time of timing and, and even the, fi you know, the final result, I, I mean, I have to believe that, 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 that we still have not seen the end of the criminal charges. Um, can but, this be seen, can this settlement possibly be not just seen as but in reality a prelude to like clearing the decks like just you know getting this off this one big chunk done and, and maybe it's not done obviously it's going to be years 
But you move that off the table now and you move on to the next big thing. Is it possible that's what's happening within the state government? I don't know that it's that coordinated, but I think there is. Man, we got a, a year after the water crisis was acknowledged. There's a little bit of flint fatigue, maybe. Um, but the criminal charges, I, I just don't know. I mean, we were looking earlier this year, uh, everyone was expecting, hey, there's a statute of limitations here, and this has got a, um, this has got a, come to a head and then the attorney general's office said well um you know we don't necessarily read it that way and we're still going um if the criminal charges get filed again um against the same or different defendants um related to this that's gonna start another whole process that's mm -hmm. gonna be year that's gonna be years we're gonna have to go send these cases all the way up through district and circuit court again and the attorneys for the uh, individuals who are charged uh they are you know fighting it at every turn so you know optimistically mm -hmm. if if some of the money if the settlement ends up get, being accepted by the u uh, by the uh, u.s district court and we get to the point where they start to um accept claims being filed next year uh and maybe later in the year even we get some some of that settlement starting to be distributed that would be closing one chapter but like i said with the epa still having not settled the city of flint the the consultants that were working with the city and its water at the time and then all the criminal charges we're nowhere near done yeah i noticed that the consultants um spoke up after a few days ago after the settlement is now saying not us we're not settling we didn't do anything wrong no one has pro proclaimed their innocence more loudly than the than the consultants and you know they, I, I mean it, you can see a little bit where they're coming from because of the response that they say they got from the city at the time the city's being run kind of by an absentee landlord the state of michigan uh its finances were in, in in enough disarray that the state felt like they had to take over um so real quick question going back to the criminal charges some of these people who were charged um under this you know shooty when he was the ag and the charges were dismissed would this not be double jeopardy if they were charged again for the same offenses wow you need someone with a uh greater expertise than than me but my understanding is that they that they are able to to charge the same people but I wouldn't wade out too far deep into that because I'm yeah I grew up watching LA Law so <laughs> that's that's my uh, that's the extent of my, my my legal expertise on that um and another another legal question Ron coming at they, you you know they there were you have to look at it too um there were certain things that were charged initially that might not be charged again True. and something else could be charged. There was, there were misconduct charge, misconduct in office and, and so on. And some of those charges had statute of limitation issues tied to them. So maybe they're, they may have a different theory of the previous prosecutors did. Now, one thing Eric knows from being on this podcast with me is I, he has to keep a leash on me or I'll go off the conspiracy cliff. You know, I've, I've got all kinds of speculatory thoughts in my head. But one thing I remember from our, our great uh, reporting project, uh, 
All the Governor's Men, which detailed how the Snyder administration not only handled this, but who knew what when and the decisions that were made. And I remember Snyder went to Congress and made four really uh, strong claims why his administration did not bear any responsibility. And your reporting, along with John Counts and Julie Mack, uh, basically debunked all four in so profoundly that they were never uttered again in public uh, that I could tell by the Snyder administration. But anyways, in the course of all that reporting, one of the things that stymied us was executive privilege uh, in Michigan, where one of two states that has an exemption from Freedom of Information Act for the governor's office and the legislature. So Ron will remember this well. Uh, Eric, last week we were talking about the, the Friday five o'clock news dump. That yes. Yep. Everybody loves to do. Well, we would get to Friday at four o'clock or four thirty, and the Snyder administration would say, "Hey, look, we're you know graciously releasing ten thousand emails uh, that they selectively would release, and people like Ron would get to spend in a non-searchable five, format, a non-searchable <laughs> format, and then you'd get in, and anything that looked choice was redacted. And my my point I'm getting at though is that we never got the complete picture. We didn't have access to it. We only got what was released. And the reporting we did was amazing based once you consider the fact we didn't have access to everything. But I'm assuming, you know, Dana Nessel has access to everything as a, as a prosecutor. And, you know, that stuff is still out there. And so it's a long-winded um, lead up to the question, is Governor Snyder or former Governor Snyder still possibly going to be held culpable for any of this? Well, it's all spec. It's all speculation, right? Um, Governor Snyder um, was at the head. Uh, could could he still be charged with something? Yes, um, absolutely. Um, he's been brought before the uh, civil attorneys to give a deposition. Uh, on that side of it that lasted two days from what I understand. Um, but again, boy, they have been so tight-lipped. I mean, you can you can kind of sketch out a case um, that, okay, um, we know that these level of people in state and city and federal government had knowledge that something was wrong with Flint's water at certain points in time. And then you have to try and take it to the next level. Well, did that person bring it to the attention of their boss? And did they bring it to the attention of someone else in a different agency? And when you track that, it it comes right up to the door. And um, a lot of people just found it really hard to believe that a lot of people who were high ranking in state government uh, had information that an entire city's water was being poisoned at um, at the time, but yet they didn't share it with the ultimate boss, right? That there was, the, that it never quite got there. So um, you're not that far away from at least being able to make a case. I don't know if it stands up, but you can at least, you're, you're real close to being able to make a case that that yes, uh, it either got there or it should have got there or the governor himself um, was blind to what he should have seen. Um, and we know he wasn't oblivious to what was going on in Flint. Like I said, uh, he got a, you know, he got his 
daily briefing of information about what was going on on in the state, where people were out protesting, uh, what issues were raging around in different cities. And uh, he couldn't have missed what was going on in Flint. Now, what's his culpability? I don't know. Did anybody bring it to him directly? I don't, I don't know, but you can, you can sketch it out in your mind where it gets real close to that. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can document the damage that was done uh, both in, you know, human cost, economic cost, and it just, yeah. you know, people, can you sell a house in Flint? Are people moving in? Can, are people moving into Flint? Um, you know, it, you could probably track that pretty easily as well. Yeah. I mean, all of the, the, the problems that the city had leading into this that have been, that have just been building one upon the other for the, um, this was the last thing that the city of Flint needed for its reputation and for its people and for the housing stock here. There's no doubt, you know, the water was more corrosive when they switched to the Flint River and didn't treat it properly and distributed it to people who had lead, lead and galvanized service lines. And that corrosive water caused the lead to leach into the water system. We know because the water was being tested. It's a federal requirement. And at one point we got, you know, we were peaked out at 20 parts per billion of lead. Well, and, I, I think one of the most telling things that you remember and you wrote about was as the state was saying, no, it's fine. It, it, it meets all standards um, for, for human health. GM stopped using the water because it was corroding the metal in its factory. <laughs> yeah. And John, the state of Michigan was paying to bring in bottled water to the state office building in downtown Flint. Right. Meanwhile, everybody else was supposed to take their word for it. So yeah, I'm sorry. Good. Yeah. I mean, we had zero problem with with our water before this happened. And, you know, now we're living with it. We're digging out the pipes connected to every single home in the city. Um, there's no doubt we had we were drinking water with elevated levels of lead. And there's also no doubt that the state, the city, and the federal government all had an idea of what was going on. Well, let's go back and keep in a real kind of sense to the 600 million. And given what we just, you just cataloged, uh, the damage that was done and the problems it created, this 600 million, especially if it's a, being uh, an investment in the future of these, you know, being paid out to these kids as they grow up and stuff, what does it do for the city of Flint now? What does it do, you know, for the institutions in Flint? What does it do to move the city forward? When you look at it as, as the, the bulk of the money going to young children, minors, um, you know, 17 or younger, uh, at the time that they were first exposed to the water, the settlement, I mean, I don't know what it's going to do for the city because Flint's got a lot of its institutional problems that you see every time you sit through a seven-hour city council meeting. Um, it's divided. Um, it's fractured. Um, there's not enough money to provide basic services. All those problems we had before the water crisis, we still got. But this settlement does have the potential to make a big difference in a lot of kids' lives in Flint. Um, if you can depend, like I say, depending on how good your case is, but even if you even if you can only show you were exposed to the water, you're going to benefit to some some degree if this settlement goes through, and that can be, especially if the 
kids are, if this money is going to be held in trust for them and it's going to, uh, interest is going to be allowed to ac accumulate on it over, over years. Um, this can be a life changing thing for a lot of ki uh, kids in the city. Um, the city of Flint itself, um, like I say, we're close to getting those service lines replaced. There have been certain upgrades that have been made to the water system. We're not relying upon up the river anymore. Um, so the water hopefully is not going to be an impediment. The water has tested in terms of lead okay for the last three plus years. Um, some people still have issues with, say they have issues with uh, other aspects of their water, but for the overall city, at least, um, it seems like we're coming out the other end on that. And I guess we can get back to, you know, um, making progress on some of the other things that need addressing in Flint. But for the kids, I'm telling you, if in a city where, you know, um, the housing stock is bad. The, the, the unemployment is high. Uh, it, it, household income is not very, is low. Um, the, the settlement can change a lot of lives. You know, Eric, I'm going to take you back a little bit in time. Ron will know this, but in 2009, we put together the Flint Second on Bay City Papers and I was the executive editor and I, I started going to work every day in Flint and, and Ron's a reporter there. And I remember going in a conference room and it was a Jeffrey Wright. Was he the drain commissioner? Yeah, yeah, Jeff Wright. And then the, uh, Jamie Curtis yep. was it? He was the head of the. He was the county commissioner or the chairman of the county commission. Yep. These guys came into our conference room and they're talking about the Karen Gandhi water pipeline and you know they were really railing on Detroit. They felt like they were going to short end of the stick. Detroit had all the power. They were raising rates, and they laid this all out like the future is so bright. We got to wear shades. I mean this is the way to go. We're going to you know, build this pipeline. And who would have known? I mean, I think that was maybe 10 years ago, Ron, who would have known that if they had just paid what Detroit was asking for the water, yep. you know, here we are now, the, the, the damages are really incalculable to people's lives, but here you are $600 million, not counting what the federal government's paid, not counting all the foundations and charity and the loss and everything, but it just, it just boggles, it boggles yeah. the mind, Ron. You're talking about a, uh, the state of Michigan alone. Uh, if the settlement goes through, uh, we're talking about a billion dollars that have been um, spent in, in Flint as a result of the water crisis. And that, if they would have never switched us over to do it on the cheap to the Flint River, um, you know, we would have been talking about, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to to have had that security. But at the time, it's the same thing that the water consultants say, well, we told them something was wrong and they just said, do it as cheap as you can. Yeah. You know, we don't want to do it the best. We want to do it the cheapest. And that goes into emergency manager um, yep. politics. But one last thing, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, Ron, but one last thing. You'd mentioned a phrase, you call it Flint fatigue. And when the story broke, the national media descended and uh, they paid a lot of attention to Flint six months, a year, whatever. And I think once they left, I mean, the world has problems, you know, there's a war, there's, you know, civil unrest or whatever, but the people of Flint are still here. And can we come out of Flint fatigue? You know, I mean, it can't, it can't be a state solution forever. Um, what's it going to take to get Flint back on its feet again? I know it's a huge question, but. 
Well, uh, getting the water getting the water crisis or elements of it resolved will be will be part of that. Um, but uh, anybody who tells you that you know everything's just going to take care of itself after this water stuff is resolved is is wrong um we've got the same problems we had before the water crisis you know we've got health disparities we've got high unemployment um we have a lot of poverty we got a still a, a pretty crummy housing stock um and so um you know there are there are little signs of progress you know there's been some development you know in the downtown area and there's there's been some development around some of the institutions in flint but um you know uh you, you look around the country at a lot of the, uh, a lot of these uh cities that were industrial powerhouses at one time and you've seen the disinvestment that's happened the jobs that have been lost and and then the cities are left to pick up the pieces so well, one thing you know, I know, Ron, one thing I know, you if you cover the city of Flint as you do for us, you have job security because yeah. <laughs> there's kind of just never ending um, stories to cover. And thanks for what you've done and bringing these stories to the public. And uh, obviously, this the settlement story is going to continue for years. Um, but I want to thank you for joining us today. It's a lot to unpack, but uh, it's good insights, too. And um, so thanks for joining us. And, and thank you, Eric, as you always. It. It's a pleasure. Pleasure being with you on Behind the Headlines and look forward to seeing you again next week. And there they go. Special thanks to Ron Funger for joining us on this episode as we talk about this historic decision in the city of Flint. As always, if you would like to help us get discovered on this podcast, put it in a playlist on Spotify, like it, and write a review if you're listening to it on iTunes or Google Play. And finally, share it with somebody who'll dig the podcast. As always, I am Eric Halkren. That is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines.